Amen. Well, good to see you in the house of the Lord this evening. If you would take your Bible and turn to Psalm chapter 22. Psalm chapter 22. I'm going to read the entire thing of 31 verses. I'll turn my mic on. I got a red light. That means a dead battery. Can we just use the pulpit mic tonight? Oh, okay. All right. Oh, it is green now, so, okay. All right, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted thee, in the, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered, and they trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou dost make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was a cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. For there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me around. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierce my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be thou, be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength, haste thee to help me, deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, and for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All ye the seed of Israel. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. My, prayer sh my praise shall be in of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before him. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. And all they that be fat upon earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him. 
and none can keep his life his own soul. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege you have to open your precious word tonight. We pray, Father, as look into the word of God, that we be encouraged and strengthened and, and comforted where we need comfort, and you would be glorified and honored in all that's done. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've titled this message simply, Confidence in Times of Desperation. You know, Psalm 22, 23, and 24 are without question messianic psalms. They give vivid descriptions of the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Psalm 22, we see him on the cross as the suffering Savior. In Psalm 23, we see him as the great shepherd or the chief shepherd, as Peter says in 1 Peter 5.4. In Psalm 24, we see him as the sovereign king. Uh, so he is pictured here as Savior, 22, shepherd, 23, and sovereign, 24. Uh, Spurgeon, in his introduction in the treasury of David, said this concerning Psalm 22. This is beyond all others the psalm of the cross. It may have been actually repeated word for word by our Lord when hanging on the tree. It may be too bold to say it was so, but even a casual reader may see that it might have been. It begins with, my God, my God, was, why hast thou forsaken me? And ends, according to some, in the original with, it is finished. Now, unquote. Now, when we get done tonight, I give you a reason why I think that may be so. But anyway, but this, without a doubt, is a messianic psalm. Probably three fourths of this psalm were either actual accounts of things that happened to Jesus or were quoted by him during the trial and crucif his crucifixion, and and some of parts of it speaks of his resurrection. This psalm is written, in some sense, like a song. Of course, you know, they did sing the psalms. That was the, the uh, Israel songbook, and I believe it was probably the songbook of the, of the New Testament churches for a period of time. You know, it, it has, if you will, uh, I, as I was looking at it, I thought, you know, it has sort of like stanzas and then a chorus. Um, for, for example, verses 1 and 2, he talks about crying out to God and being forsaken. Then verse 3, it's, it's a, it's, he turns to, to trust and praise. Of course. Uh, and, and then in verses 6 through 8, he's crying out again, like in desperation. In verses 9 and 10, he, and then he again is trust and praise. So to, you know, he's not repeating the same words, but the same ideas, basically. And then verses 11 through 20, he's crying out. And then 22 to 20, 31 is the chorus, you might say. But as we think about this psalm tonight, I want to look at, I want to notice three things. First of all, it's a prayer of the, the prayer of desperation. In verses 1 and 2, he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silenced. And again, in verses 6 and 8, he says, But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, despise the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot at the lips, they shake the head, saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. And then verses 11 through 20, 
one, I'm not going to read it all, but again, he pours out his heart to the Lord in desperation. Now, this psalm was written by David, but obviously it goes beyond David. But we do know that although David was a man uh, that accomplished great things and great things were promised to him, yet he, he did endure and experience severe trials and hardships in his life. You know, anointed king, yet running for, for his life, and, you know, and Saul searching for him day and night. And at times, it, was, it almost appeared like he was going to be, his life was going to be snuffed out, though anointed king. He had, he had in his lifetime some close companions and friends turn away from him and betray him. Ahithophel, speaking of Ahithophel, he says, a, a, a minor, familiar acquaintance of my friend. He had generals that did not always follow his lead. <laughs> Joab. Job was in many ways a, a great general, but he didn't always follow David's lead. You know, David, David would allow Abner to bring the, 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 uh, the other tribes to him, but Joab wasn't having any of it. Wasn't having anything with Abner. And it was really a betrayal of David's authority. Not only that, he had a wife that he loved that mocked him mocked and disrespected him, Michael. You know, these are typical things that happen in the course of life that can cause us to cry out in desperation. You know, when I was started reading this, I also thought of Job. Job cried unto the Lord, and it was like the heavens were brass. There was no, there was no word from God. He, he made his cry unto God. And he, he also suffered great things. You know, he lost his... His, all his possessions, he lost his children, he, he, he lost his health, everything, he, he lost everything but death, basically, but died. And he cried out in desperation, and then he had some nice friends that came along to encourage him, told him, Job, you're just a hypocrite, that's why these things are happening to you. You're being judged for your sin. And Job retained his integrity before them and before the Lord. And so, you know, we see this prayer of desperation. It's also a petition of humility. If you notice in verse 6, you know, it's not like he's crying out and demanding that God do something. He's, he's beseeching. He's begging. He says, I'm a worm and no man. A reproach of men and despised of the people. He's not coming like, I deserve it. He's not saying that. He's not saying, I deserve it. Because who of us does? But he is saying, Lord, help me. He says, there's no one to help. Verse 11, be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. He, Lord, I'm a worm and no man. So this is one who's crying out of a repentant heart, one who has acknowledged their need of the Lord. Spurgeon again says in his commentary, quote, this is, this is a miracle in language. How could the Lord of glory be brought to such abasement as to be not only lower than the angels, but even lower than men? What a contrast between I am and I am worm, unquote. You know, our Lord Jesus, as we think about this, and of course this part of it specifically is, is 
was uh, speaking of the Lord Jesus. And our Lord Jesus suffered. As you think about it, he suffered as no man. He suffered the, the desertion of his father. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It means to be deserted. He was deserted. To leave a person, desert him. And we understand when Jesus became sin for us, the sacrifice of sin, you know, pictured as the Lamb of God, you know, you picture a lamb being brought to the priest, and the and the priest would lay his hands, or they would lay their hands on that on that lamb, and what they were doing was transferring the sin of the person to the lamb, and then the lamb died. It was put to death. Well, God transferred the sin of you and I to Jesus Christ. But God cannot look on sin. What is it? Habakkuk says, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look upon it. So the Lord Jesus Christ died as our substitute. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who know no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Galatians 3.13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. He was cursed for us. When you're cursed, you are deserving of judgment, deserving of death. But as Peter tells us, he died the just for the unjust. So when he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken? This is is a cry like no one has ever known. I remember reading some time ago about this, this account or this happening in the Bible when Spurgeon says it's hard for him to fathom this, the fact that God forsaken him. He said, I read testimonies of martyrs who have given their life for Christ and, and how they speak of, of, of or those who have suffered and, and how they have spoken of God's presence being with them through their suffering. For example, Obadiah Holmes was whipped in 1651 in Boston for preaching. He was invited, him and, and uh, John Clark and another man were invited to a home uh, and they were while they were there holding a church service in this home, they were arrested by the, the uh, Puritans there in Boston, which was the state church. And they were, they were all three fined. Crandall was the other one. And somebody paid Crandall's fine, and also, as they were being led to the whipping post, somebody paid for Clark's and offered to pay for Holmes' as well. But Holmes said, if I allow my... If I, if I accept this... I'm saying that they are right, and I'm not. I'm admitting guilt, and he refused it. So he's led to the post and stripped to the waist, and while we're being stripped, he preached a sermon to the onlooking crowd, exhorting them to stay faithful to their beliefs. Obadiah Holmes' sentence was 10 stripes less than the maximum of 40 lashes, which was considered a death sentence. Holmes' sentence was the same as that of rapists. Many in the gathering crowd cried out in protest. At least 13 individuals were arrested for calling for the punishment to stop. The beating was an attempt to kill Holmes, who later stated that the flogger 
used a whip and three hard leather lashes. The man stopped three times to spit in his hands and applied the whip with all his might. Holmes gave this account of the beating. As the, quote, as the man began to lay the stripes upon my back, I said to the people, Though my flesh should fail, yet God will not fail. So it pleased the Lord to come in and fill my heart and tongue as a vessel full. And with audible voice I break forth, praying the Lord not to lay this sin to their charge, and telling the people I found he did not fail me. Therefore now I should trust him forever, who failed me not. For in truth, as the strokes fell upon me, I had such a spiritual manifestation of God's presence as I never had before, and the outward pain was so removed from me that I could well bear it. Yea, in a manner felt it not, although it was grievous. Unquote. And as they untied him from the whipping post and began to let him away, he said to the magistrates, quote, You have beaten me as with roses. Unquote. They beat him so bad that the blood filled his boots. For months he could not sleep on his back. He had to sleep on his hands and knees. John Spur, an onlooker, later testified that being moved powerfully by the faith of Holmes, he was born again at the beating. He also was arrested uh, for helping Holmes. You see, the Lord manifests himself, but when Jesus suffered and died, God forsook him. God the Father forsook him because he became sin for us. He knew us as a sin. Spurgeon again says, quote, Jesus not only endured the withdrawal of the Father's fellowship, but also the actual outpouring of the Father's wrath upon him as a substitute for sinful humanity. This was the blackness and darkness of his horror. Then it was that he penetrated the depths of the caverns of suffering, unquote. So we see here the prayer of desperation. We also see the prayer of dependence. Notice the prayer of dependence. Three times in this chapter, you know, he, he cries out, but then he says, but thou, but thou. Verse 3, but thou art holy. Verse 9, uh, verse nine again, but thou art he that took me out of the womb. Verse 19, but be not thou far from me. See, but thou. These are declarations of confidence, of dependence upon God. Even in the time of his desperation. We see, we see here the confidence in the presence of God. He says in verse 3, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. He's the one that dwells. You know, and when, you, when you think about inhabiting, he dwells the praises, or he's, you know, you know, the glory of God dwelt in the tabernacle, or the, in, in the tabernacle and later in the temple, and we call it the, referred to as the Shekinah glory cloud. And his presence filled the temple where the praises of God were raised by the children of Israel. So, you know, he's, he's referring to the one that, that inhabits the praises of Israel, of Israel. He is confidence of the presence of God in his life. He also, he, had, he displays here that he had faith in the power of God. If you notice in verse 4 again, Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted thee and were not confounded. And again, verse 9, But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou dost make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. 
So he's claiming, what he's doing here is claiming the promises of God. He refers to the fathers. The fathers. Who did God originally give the promises to? You know, what was, what was the thing you see over and over in the Bible? He's the God of who? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it was to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he gave the promises, and those promises then were passed on to the children of Israel. And, and we come to the New Testament, and those promises, are, I mean, those promises through faith are passed on to us. We get the blessing of Abraham. We, we don't get the land and all that. That's not promised to, we're not Israel. But, but the, the promise of, of life, eternal life, and the glory, and, and, and those things are also promised us through, the, through Abraham. So he's claiming the promises of God. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to whom those promises were given and passed on. Spurgeon said this, quote, that that child, speaking of the one crying out here, fighting the great battle of his life, uses the mercy of his nativity, and if you notice in verse 9, he talks about, thou hast took me out of the womb, the, uses the mercy of his nativity as an argument with God. Faith finds weapons everywhere. He who wills to believe shall never lack reasons for believing. If you have a desire to believe, you find a reason to believe. You know, even in his birth, thou art he that took me out of the womb. He, what he's doing here is he's claiming the promises of God. You know, we're in doubt, you know what we need to do? We need to claim the promises of God. We need to remind, we know God knows all things, but God delights to hear us for our benefit to remind him of the promises he's made to us. Look at, look at Exodus, and we'll see an example of this. Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. This is what Moses did. When the children of Israel sinned and made the golden calf, God was ready to destroy them and raise up a nation from Moses. He was ready to do it. But Moses intercedes. And he reminds God of something. Exodus 32 verse 9 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people? whom thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Notice, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Thy servants to whom thou swearest by thine own self and your seed as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Yeah, God could have destroyed them and raised up a nation of people out of Moses. But you know what? But then it wouldn't have been the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob.
You see, Moses is here claiming the promise that God gave to them as a nation. And we need to claim. We need to claim and pray to God and claim his promises. Pray them back to him. They're like weapons for us. They're weapons for us. You know, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, Let your conversation be with covetousness, without covetousness. Be content with such things as he had, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So they may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. God, you promised never to leave me nor forsake me and to help me. God, you promised to supply all my needs if I would obey you. Because, you know, there are times, even when you walk with the Lord, that you wonder. Things can get tight, difficult. Sometimes God allows us to go through things like that to test us. But we need to remind God of his promises. Claim his promises. They are like weapons in prayer to our God. Spurgeon again said this, quote, We may not question the holiness of God, but we may argue from it and use it as a plea in our petitions, unquote. See, we can argue from it. We don't. We don't question God's holiness. We, we ought not to question God's ways. But we can argue from his holiness. In other words, God has to keep his promises because he is God. So we can claim those promises as a means of beseeching him for what we need. And that's what he's doing here. So it's a, a prayer of dependence. Lord, I'm dependent on you and on your promises. Then I want you to notice, thirdly, the prayer of expected deliverance. And I'm, you know, I'm not going this verse by verse, obviously, but, but notice verses 22. Well, let's look at it this way. First of all, we see here, and, it is, and this really is, this, this expected deliverance is a, de- a declaration of resurrection. Notice, first of all, the assurance that God heard his prayer. If you notice in verse 22, He says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All ye the seed of Israel, for he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. He heard. Now he says, I will declare thy name. This is a hope based on the promise of the Father. Based on the promise of the Father. In John chapter 20 and verse 17, after he arose, uh, before he, uh, I think it's before he even ascended to the Father, but after he rose from the dead, he met Mary, saw him at the tomb. And this is what he said unto her. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and to your father and to my God and to your God. 
You see, he was declaring the Father's name to them, and this was the assurance that they were his, that they belonged to him. Of course, he also speaks here, I declare thy name unto my brother. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. And this is quoted in Hebrews 2.12, where it says, saying, I would declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And so we see here that he is prophesied that he would sing in his church. And we know that before they went out, after they had the Lord's Supper, and before they went out to the Mount of Olives, they sung a hymn. That I will sing to my brethren. Uh, in the church will I sing praise unto thee. And you know it, it. You know we don't know for sure. We don't have an occasional account of that. But it, it's, it is even possible, and I think probable, that he sang with them after the resurrection. But it, the the declaration here is that 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 he God did hear him, and he heard the afflicted. And he raised him up. And we all, because we see that also, not only the assurance that God heard, but the promise of exaltation in the kingdom. If you notice verses 26 through 28, he says, uh, The meek shall inherit and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your, ho- your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. You know, the Bible says that the, in Matthew 5 that the meek will inherit the earth. Now, when he says the meek will inherit the earth, we're talking about, you know, the meek is those who submit to the will of God, even in the face of undesirable circumstances. Uh, really, that's what meekness is. It's, it's accepting God's way, even though it may be difficult, with a good attitude. That's, that's a, a simple definition. It's, it's allowing God to lead and control in your life. And, and so meekness is really submitting to the undesirable circumstances of life in view of the bigger picture. And the kingdom of God is bigger than my life. It's more important than my life. And he says, the meek, those who will accept that, will inherit the earth. They will rule and reign with Christ in the kingdom. Notice again here it says, All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. The kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. So it's a reference or a prophecy concerning the, the millennial reign of Christ. So it's, it's assured the promise of his resurrection and then his kingdom reign. You know, and Jesus, again, was, was, was meekest above all men. You know, he endured the cross. He accepted the undesirable circumstances of his life. He despised the shame, but he submitted himself to that for the joy that would result of that. The joy that, uh, how's Hebrews say, uh, he, he endured the cross, despising thing, for the joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him was all the salvation 
of mankind. All those who would come to know the Lord through his death on the cross and would be made the children of God. Uh, so he submitted himself, he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. And it is, it, 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 you might sum it up here in verse 31 where it says, they shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. It's done. You know, that's like saying, it is finished. It's finished. You know, when he said it, on, it is finished on the cross, everything necessary for the salvation of mankind and for the kingdom reign of Christ, everything necessary was done. It's just a matter of when. It's just a matter of when it comes to pass. When he's going to bring it. We're not going to bring it. He's going to bring it. You see, it's all done in him. He hath declared to the world the Father. He said, I will, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In other words, I'm going to declare the name of the Father to my brethren. He hath declared to the world the Father in his love in sending his Son to be the propitiation of the sin. We see that God declared himself to the world. You know, John 1.18 says, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him, or he hath manifested him to the world. Jesus Christ manifested or declared God, the Father, to the world. To us, who will receive him. As our Lord and as our Savior. He hath done it. It is finished in him. It's finished. No, yet in this life, many times we cry out in desperation as David did. David was already anointed king. But yet there were times he cried out in desperation. When, when Solomon, or when, not Solomon, when Absalom run him out of Jerusalem, again, he cried to God, to his father. Even though he knew the promises that God had made to him that were to come onto his seed after him, not through Absalom, but through Solomon. You know, that was threatened by Absalom. But yet, he would, he, would, he, would, he would make his desperation, his desperate plea, and then he'd, then he'd claim those, that promise that God made to him and praying, expecting the deliverance to come. You know, that's, we need, when we pray, we need to expect God to intervene. You remember Jesus said, told the story about the woman who came to the king continuously requesting her land returned and not because the or came to the, the judge I'm sorry came to the judge wanting her land return and finally the judge said because she comes to me continuously she won't give up I'm going to grant her not that I care about the widow. 
how much more doth your heavenly Father desire to give you that which you ask of him? Spurgeon again said this, quote, Here is the triumph of faith, the Savior, stood like a rock in a wide ocean of temptation. High as the billows rose, so did his faith. Like the coral rock, waxed greater and stronger till it became an island of salvation to our shipwrecked souls. As if he had said, quote, It matters not what I endure. Storms may howl upon me, men despise, devils tempt, circumstances overpower, and God himself forsake me, still God is holy, there is no unrighteousness in him. You know, our circumstances in life are fluid. They're subject to change. Adversity, catastrophe, trials and temptations due to the curse of sin. But one thing we can be assured of, God changes not. God does not change. He is still just, holy, and righteous. And we can be assured that he will do what's right. Therefore, he will keep his promises to us. Peter calls them exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. See, he will keep his promises to us, to his churches, his people, to help us, to encourage us. And unlike our Lord Jesus Christ, who the Father deserted while on the cross, the Father will not forsake us, because since we're in Christ, we cannot become sin. We are uncondemned before our holy and righteous God. He sees us in Him. The righteousness of Christ. His love for us is limitless. Of course, the greatest demonstration of love is that a man would lay down his life for his friends. But God commended His love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So though our circumstances may be desperate, though we go through difficult times, we can be assured that God will do us right and his love for us is eternal. It changes not. But he desires, he desires to hear our prayer of desperation. Make our cry on him. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things, which thou knowest not. He desires to hear that he might demonstrate his glorious power in our lives. So, in times of trial and suffering and hardship, we need to make our cry on the Lord. But we should also be confident in those times that God will not fail us. He will keep his promises. And so we can have confidence in those times of desperation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again.
for your love for us. We thank you for your, your word. Thank you for the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, of David, your servant, a man after your own heart, and of others who have gone before us, who have suffered like things as we have, yet endured that suffering. Father, I pray that you'd help us to be challenged and encouraged in this confidence that you will not forsake us, that you are there to help us, that you will do right by us because you are righteous and holy and just and you love us with an everlasting love. So, Father, I pray that we'd be encouraged and strengthened just to be faithful until you come for us. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.